Hey firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. You know what I love? I mean, I love a lot. I do. I love a whole bunch of things, but what rhymes with bunch? Brunch. So in March, when COVID exploded, so over a year ago, we sprung into action. Firecracker department was like, what are we gonna do? We came together as a core team and sort of brainstormed about what we can do. And one of our firecrackers, who is now an alum, Joanne Bullen said, why don't we get together and do a weekly brunch? Love it. I mean, you had me at brunch. I am such a fan of any kind of brunch when, especially those brunches that start with like, people coming over for like mimosas and, coffees and eggs and whatever's and then suddenly because the conversation is so fantastic brunch goes into lunch snacks dinner cocktails late night hangouts i love those i love those full day brunches so firecrack department meets every sunday and we've been doing this for over a year thanks to brunch hosts Alyssa abler and kathleen harkwell firecracker brunch is just one of my favorite things in the world because people come together and we talk about life we talk about what people are working on. We talk about how we can come together to help folks create more, or if they're blocked, how do we get over those blocks? So if you're ever kicking around, it's 12 o'clock Eastern time, nine o'clock Pacific time, and there's a Zoom link in our Facebook group, and we would love to have you there. Don't be shy. I guarantee you, it's your people. You're gonna jump in on brunch, and you will feel at home so quickly. And we have folks from like, England, Nashville, Minneapolis, Berlin, all over Canada, British Columbia, Ontario, Los Angeles. We have people jump in on brunch and it's just a delight. We've been doing it for a year and some of those folks I've never met in person, but I truly feel like they are some of my, my dearest friends now because we've gotten to know each other through brunch. So jump on in. I gotta talk to you about a project that is coming to you from one of our core members, one of the tried and true ride or die Friends and Firecrackers, AJ Edmonds. It's called Dark Highway. Just a little bit of a heads up, there are some sensitivities around this project, so if uh, you want to, just please just fast forward it into the interview. The project is called Dark Highway, and AJ has put her heart and soul and mind and spirit into this project. Dark Highway is a documentary about the industry of sexploitation and trafficking along the 401 corridor. Now the 401 is a highway in Canada and for those of you who know it, it's the main highway. So through the lens of a bystander, audiences will be engrossed in an investigation to uncover the ways traffickers lure victims and how the highway is used to hide the crime and how we can help, right? How we can take action because this is such an important topic. And the thing that I appreciate about Dark Highway is that it explains that it's in our backyard. So not only is it something that we need to be aware of, but we need to know how to help. They've started a crowdfunding campaign and that link will be in our show notes, of course. But AJ is, um, gosh, she's such an amazing storyteller and I know that she feels responsible to tell this story and not only tell this story factually, but AJ just puts her heart into everything she does. Dark Highway will give audiences a front row seat into the investigation that AJ does into sex trafficking in Ontario and I think it'll leave people with tools and information to be conscious and advocates for change. And that's so in line with Firecracker Department. So learning about things but then also finding out how we can take action. If you want to support this amazing project, go to seedenspark.com slash fund slash dark dash highway 
Again, that link will be in our show notes, but please support this amazing project. Support one of our Firecracker Core members. AJ does so much for our community, and this is an opportunity for us to give back to her. This is an amazing and huge undertaking for AJ and her colleagues, and um, they are so committed to it. So any amount to that crowdfunding campaign will be appreciated. If it's five bucks, if it's 5,000 bucks, I know it'll make a difference because they are close to reaching their goal, and I want to be able to say Firecracker Department helped because I think it's a really important project. And I'll say this, if you can't, let's just say money's tight. I get it. Share the link. Share the project information to your community and do something that's active about supporting this kind of project. Thanks, community. I sure love you all. I sure love this Firecracker Department community. Let's jump in on a Firecracker shout out. Hi there, I'm Anne-Marie Krejcik. I'm a Toronto actor and devoted member of the Firecracker Writing Department. And today I'm shining a spotlight on fellow Firecracker Robin Deverett. Robin is a Toronto actor, physiotherapist, clubhouse moderator extraordinaire, and all-around awesome human. Personally, my life has improved immensely having her in my corner. She has a huge heart, she is hilarious, and I personally think she deserves her own TV show. Oh wait, she's gone ahead and done just that. Robin has created Window Chats with Robin, where she talks with industry professionals live on Instagram, and then saves those conversations and transforms them into podcast episodes so you can listen after wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Robin on Instagram at Robin Deverett. That's R-O-B-Y-N-D-E-V-E-R-E-T-T. And watch how your feed transforms to be that much more entertaining. Oh, thanks, Anne-Marie. Yes, these two firecrackers are going to change the world. I guarantee you. You're going to want to follow them. You're going to want to find out what they're creating and you're going to want to keep in touch because I truly do believe they have such great perspectives and great uh, insights into what we're doing. So thanks, Anne-Marie, and thank you, Robin. Hey, if you have a Firecracker shout-out, send us a short voicemail to firecrackerdepartment at gmail.com. Make sure you include your name, of course, and the person you are shouting out, their name and a couple of their handles so that we can make sure we can follow their work. Uh, it's one of my favorite things, and I sure love all the firecracker shoutouts that are coming in. So thanks, everybody. Keep them coming. Now, our guest on the show this week is Super Superstar. Yes, I added a super. Superstar producer Marina Cordoni. Marina is the founder of Marina Cordoni Entertainment, which everyone knows as MCE. This is going to be... Ugh, gosh, this is such a treat of a conversation because Marina is not only going to chat with me here, but our next mentorship panel in September... She's going to join that as well. So we're going to get oh so much Marina and you will thank me for it. Write in your calendars right now, September 25th. September 25th, that's our mentorship panel. You're going to want to register. You're going to want to jump in. It's a panel of other indie producers and the conversations are going to be great. This is our third of our mentorship department event series and each one is so great. We'd set it up sort of like a speed dating thing so you get to meet and chat with each of the producers in different breakout rooms and then we all come together for a further discussion. It's really electric and I love hearing the stories. I love seeing people engaged and it's super fun. So as I said, September 25th, 11.30 a.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 
You can speak to these beautiful brains like Marina and the other superstar producers such as Mackenzie Donaldson and Ashley Rains and ask all the questions that you've always wanted to ask in person over Zoom. Yeah, so as I said, Electra. We're gonna have all that information and ticket link in our show notes as well as the link in our bio on social. So go find us, share those because you know folks that are like, oh, I wanna produce something but I don't have enough information. Here's where you're gonna wanna go. The Firecracker Department Indie Producer Mentorship Event. It's gonna be amazing. Now before founding MCE, Marina in the 90s worked with a ton of entertainment companies like the film division of Polygram Filmed Entertainment based across the pond in the UK. And there she handled pre-sales and completed picture sales in foreign territories on major independent hits like, oh, I don't know, Four Weddings and a Funeral, yes. Dead Man Walking, a thank you. Fargo and Sleepers, love all of those projects. With all her amazing distribution smarts, Marina then pivoted into the production world and she has so many credits. I mean, a ton. This is the thing that happens more and more, but they have so many firecracker connections, including Never Saw It Coming, which is a film that might sound familiar to you because of my conversation with award-winning firecracker director, Gail Harvey. And we had that chat just before she went to Sudbury to shoot. And then I chatted with star Tamara Pademsi when the film was released. Check out the episodes when you have a chance. Of course, listen to this one first, but then go in and catch up with all these amazing discussions that I've been having. They are firecracker department classics and a little bit of an inside one. When you listen to Tamara Pademsky, you can hear the sound of me and our head podcast producer, Winnie Wong, falling in love. She was the publicist for that movie and Winnie was in the room and uh, there's a moment in that discussion with Tamara Pademsky that just will always in my heart as the moment I fell in love with Winnie Wong. So there. Another Marina film we have to mention is American Hangman starring firecrackers Jess Salguero and Joanne Boland. Right? See all these connections? Joanne Boland, whose idea it was to start brunch. It all is connected. Two more amazing episodes to pair with this one. I mean, you could spend the day listening to firecrackers and I don't think you'd have a bad day. In fact, I think you'd be like, that was a pretty fantastic day. It's so amazing to see all these firecrackers just working together in the community and I love all the connections and I just see them more and more and more. One of the things that's really important to us at Firecrack Department is to shine a light not just on people that have established resumes, but people who are just starting. So no matter where you start, you're gonna end up somewhere and we love following that journey. So Marina met her business partner, Kelly Reynolds, when they both executive produced one of Hallmark Network's highest rated TV movies, Love on the Air. Now they've built a bridge between Canada and the US with Marina producing from Toronto and Kelly from LA. How's that for some creative action, right? Some of Marina and Kelly's upcoming projects include Fear the Worst, a Linwood Barkley novel starring Jason Priestley and Wanda Woman with writer Bridget Canning, directed by Gia Milani and producer Mary Sexton in Newfoundland. Now I just, um, I really can't say enough about this chat. I really can't. It, it just came along at a time that I needed to hear everything that Marina was talking about. And uh, I mean, we really could have talked all afternoon. And I hope there'll be a time where we can sit down and chat in person. She shared some beautiful insight and exclusive discussion about her journey to sobriety and how this opened up a whole new world of creativity. I was really honored to have that part of that discussion as well, that she trusted me with that part of her world. There's something about having authentic discussions with folks that make you just go, oh, now we're gonna be friends forever. Like, I know if Marina ever needed anything, I'd be like, I'm in your corner, Marina. Okay, 
I gotta stop talking about her so that you can actually hear this discussion. Here we are, my chat with Marina Cordoni. I also love this, uh, is it three part? I think this is the third part. I never saw it coming mm -hmm. because I talked to Gail like eons ago, like maybe when she was just doing prep for the film. And then we talked to Tamara Podemski and, uh, and now we're talking to you. So it's kind of this like triptych. This is such a treat. So now I, yes, this is what I love knowing. I, because I love knowing where people come from. I know that you're Italian born, but I would love to know how you got to Canada because I feel like, um, I mean, of course, everything in our childhood influences how we are, but I would love to hear how your steps were coming to Canada. Well, I was really young. I was about two years old when my parents decided to come to Canada and they, they um, came from Italy from a small town, not too small. It's about 60,000 people called Teramo and it's in central Italy. And my father had friends here in Toronto and they said, you know, come on over. It's the American dream you know, that whole speech in Canada and uh, yeah, in Canada. And uh, we arrived in 1971. We became uh, landed Im immigrants, I suppose, at that time. Then we became permanent residents. Then we became Canadian citizens. And uh, we made a home here. We made a life here. We bought the house and with the white picket fence and all of those things were happening. Mm -hmm. At the same time, though, there were times we went back and, you know, to Italy. So yeah. it was a back and forth kind of scenario. Um, which was both exciting and devastating and mm. frightening and fun. It was a mixture of things because... Yeah, why? Well, what would happen in those, those journeys? I would get used to being in Canada and make my friends and be at school. And then I'd be pulled out and told we're going back to Italy. And now I'm making new friends and going to a new school and having to adjust yeah. to the culture and... In that was sort of end of 70s, early 80s. And it was strange. It was very strange because yeah. I was I was living a certain life here in Canada. And then I would get to Italy and they wouldn't have that same lifestyle. Like there was a certain point where people in those smaller towns didn't really have the amenities that we would have in Canada at the time, you know. So I'd be asked, do you have telephones in Canada? And do you you know, are there igloos? And so it yeah. was just a different real cultural shock. Um, and that happened three or four times. Yeah. And for a kid, that's such whiplash, right? Because yes. you're trying to find your, your place and you get your friends and you get in your groove and then getting that sort of movement to back to Italy. It's, it's pretty, um, as you said, like that must've been really scary sometimes for a little kid. Absolutely. And I didn't know the language the first time we went back to Italy. So although I was born there, when we came here, English became my primary language with Italian being spoken in the house. And then layer on top that my mother is actually German. So we were also speaking German in the household. And then, you know, my friends would come over and they'd be hearing like one word in Italian, three in English, two in German back. And they'd just be like, what is going on in this house? What's going on? What kind of circus is this? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it was a circus, yeah. but it was also quite beneficial in the sense that as I got older, 
having languages helped knowing yeah. Italian helped me with French um, because it's a similar yeah. sounding language. So um, yeah, so it was a pretty crazy upbringing in that respect back and forth. And we, you know, I always think about when people talk about being um, uprooted and, you know, lived in 14 different countries and it's usually a military family but we That's were right. not. My father was a mechanic. He studied uh, mechanical engineering. And, you know, so there was no reason really to go back and forth, except they, they would be here and they didn't feel comfortable and they'd move back and they'd be there and want to come back here. It was, it was quite the trip. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, do you remember what things you found uh, comforting that kind of gave you some, some ground to stand on? I think I was good at immediately making friends. And, yeah. and I think when I was in Italy, they really admired the Canadian side to me. So they were intrigued by that. Um, and, so exotic. Yeah. And just, it was the same coming back to Canada. So I was always lucky in being able to make friendships uh, quite quickly. And that was really comforting. Like I would always find my people. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that came from? What that? Because I think that social skill, I mean, that's a muscle that I feel like I'm constantly having to work out as far as like, you know, like putting yourself out there. And as a kid, it could have been the path that you chose could have been like, I'm going to shut down. Yeah, I'm going to protect myself. Yeah. So do you remember like how you got those kind of skills? I'm very much like my father and bless him. Oh, okay. He's gone now. Um, but he was inquisitive. He was curious he was good at chatting with people. He was good at meeting people. He was good at being the first person to speak at the table. Um, so, so he had this kind of ability to connect with people. And I, I was his, yeah. his um, shadow almost. I kind of followed him around as yeah. a kid yeah, and yeah. I was learning from him and, and I was watching him. So I do believe that's the reason why. But I also think really early on, I was interested in arts and culture yeah so there was always something where did that come from you know it was just there it literally was just there I I cannot remember a day where I made that decision it was just always there you were just drawn yeah just drawn from the early days of sharing a bedroom with my sister and we would listen to music and we'd have the Donny Osmond posters up on the you know wall um, to, you know, looking through magazines, um, cutting out things to make my own magazines. Then I, there was a time where I was extremely interested in the marketing of films, you know, and I would sit and I think I would, I know I was probably seven or eight. You had to slow down for a second, but at seven or eight, you're excited about the marketing of films. Like that doesn't, I mean, this is sort of my, my curiosity about you is because I don't know very many people that are like one day I'm going to become a producer, but it does actually seem that you had that in your makeup. So at seven, you're like, tell me what that looked like as a seven-year-old interested in marketing. I didn't know what marketing was until like in my twenties. So yeah. So it was the era of the movie Saturday Night Fever and I, the iconic poster of John Travolta in the white suit doing the, the dance and it was a white background and it had, you know, the sort of uh, BG's kind of, you know, font and yeah. logo um, for the music. And I remember seeing that in a magazine 
and literally analyzing it. Like, why did they choose just him wow. in the picture? Why are they, you know, using this font? And I think it was fueled by the fact that I was too young to go see the movie because it was restricted. Right. It was R. Yeah. So I'm like obsessed now with this film. Oh, that's so interesting. But yeah. it started with this attraction to these elements in this poster campaign. And, you know, and then as I mentioned, one of my favorite pastimes at that age, between the ages of seven and 10, was to gather all sorts of magazines, cut them all up and create my own magazine. <laughs> so, and it was kind of- You were creating like lookbooks. <laughs> it's ridiculous it makes me laugh it's not it it makes me so happy though like this like I mean I say this lovingly but like weird little kid everybody's (laughs) playing with dolls and stickers and you're like analyzing the marketing behind Saturday Night Live or Saturday Fever yeah yeah and then I was allowed to go see Greece I'm not sure if that was restricted and my parents just thought it was okay for me to see Um, And then again, I was like, got the album and was looking at the sleeve and was reading the credits and, and, Mm -hmm. and then that sort of spiraled into being obsessed with television shows Um, and, 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 and becoming a consumer, but from, from a, uh, using the word weird again, weird. Analytical. (laughs) Yes. And I don't consider myself an analytical person at all. I, you know, in having studied communications, I I put myself in the expressive direct bracket, um, which, which really means that as a creator, I can talk for six hours and I can analyze things that way and talk creatively. But, you know, when I buy a new laptop, it sits on my desk for three days because I'm scared to look at the manual, you know, so... (laughs) I mean, I can't really tell you the last time I looked at a manual. I'm like, if it's not user-friendly without the three-step first two pages of the manual, then I, I don't think it's for me. Exactly. But I get it. I get it. I just want it to pop out of the box already yeah. done so that I can just get to work on the creative work. Right, right. I mean, this all seems like it's stemming from your pop's uh, curiosity yes. gene, though. Yeah. Yeah. What was yeah. your father's name? Julio. Julio and your mom's Rosvita of course beautiful oh my gosh I just love I love when people say uh names of the people they're connected to because there's such depth in the way they say it but that's uh that's really beautiful so um Julio gave you the the curiosity gene and then do you remember like the step of going like like you're gonna go into the arts you're gonna go study communications do you remember when that became like your passion and everything else around you kind of fell to the side? Yes. I think it was probably around the age of 12, 12 or 13. That is wild. That is so wild. And I wonder why I feel strange. Most people don't understand until they're in university. Some kind of go through life wondering what they're going to do or what their real passion is. I did always know that I wanted to make movies. Mm -hmm. So by the age of 12 or 13, I'm actually at that point interested in the music scene. So I'm saying to myself, okay, how do I get into the business of music? Now, one step back, the business part comes from watching the show Dynasty. And there was, (laughs) there was Alexis. This is fantastic. (laughs) You could like, you could write your, your 
autobiography like using pillars of shows yes because like you were taught you tv taught you it did absolutely it did it wasn't my babysitter like it would be for some families my mother was a mm -hmm. stay at home but it was a teacher television was my teacher so i'm watching dynasty and alexis carrington and she's a businesswoman. And this is way before we're all shouting about women and gender equality, right? In, in right. the business realm um, and, and gender parity, right? Like, so I'm watching this woman who's extremely well-dressed, is very bossy without shouting at people, runs a business, has this mm -hmm. gorgeous like husband who does nothing I think <laughs> you know, within the context of that storyline and and her desk is completely empty and I looked at that and I went I want that and right. it wasn't a moment of you know how children say I want to be the president or I want to be rich or want to be a you know a star it was I want to be doing important things Oh, that's what I got from oh, that, love that Alexis Carrington from Dynasty and and you know so I'll, thankfully I didn't turn into that character that was very mean I believe if I remember correctly um, I mean not only that but she had shoulder pads that would take your eye out so I think you you served yourself well sidestepped the shoulder pads yeah. and the bad behavior <laughs> although maybe some people will disagree when they hear this um okay. because i have been working a long time so you know i i just i i went from there i i identified i liked the arts and culture between a fascination with music and uh, again at these at that age 12 13 i was i was buying <laughs> imported copies of the new musical express from the uk and melody maker um so i was reading about music but it wasn't mm. the music per se it was the business of music so i get to about 16 and i'm thinking how am i going to make this happen i need to move to england and you know and marry a rock star or something like this is you know yeah. this is the path right at 16 and lo and behold by the age of 18 i'm actually there and by 19, I'm actually dating a rock star. So it- Oh my God. It, if you tell I, me you were dating like somebody like Mick Jagger, no, my head's gonna explode. No, yeah. no. I mean, in my heart, he was as big as Mick Jagger, but he wasn't right. at yes. that level. Um, but very successful yeah. and very popular. And you know, nowadays runs his own radio show in the UK. So I entered the world that way. And then what happened is I had an interview with a television production distribution company on the same day that I had an interview at a tanning bed salon, which was like this new craze, right? That this was like okay. new. And so mm -hmm. it was two completely different jobs. Yeah. Talk about a fork in the road, huh? Yes. It was what I call, Naomi, my sliding doors moment. Here's another movie, Gwyneth Paltrow. Does she get on the subway or not? Which job do I take? And it was, the decision was made for me because of logistics. <laughs> I love this story because I feel an out-of-body experience when I think about mm -hmm. the successes and accomplishments. It's almost like I can see it as if it's another person. And so mm -hmm. I see this you know, young Marina, who's like 19 years old, scholar of life, right? I did not get into university or a degree and, and two really different jobs. And I'm thinking I'd like either one because 
in the tanning salon world, I started to see the same kind of, not necessarily arts and culture, but artistic because it's part yeah. of fashion and wellness. And, and, and plus I could get tanned for right. free yeah. if I worked there. So, you know, the important, the priorities of the 19 year old. And then what happened, the logistics of it was I had to, this was through an agency, an employment agency that I discovered on TV. Um, and I was- Again. <laughs> I was to report back to them by phoning at, at the end of the day, reporting back on both those interviews. And by the time I found a phone booth, this is 1989, and mm -hmm. called in, the television production distribution company had already called them and said they wanted me. So wow. it was a matter wow. of, it was a, really a matter of logistics that I then yeah. fell into that job, which became, and, you know, and, and I feel so eternally grateful to that company because it became the first step to this lifelong career and yeah. was with people who truly, uh, you know, supported me, promoted me, helped me and a woman who, who owns the company. Yeah. And so was there ever like a waiver? Was there ever a time that you're like, oh, if only that suntanning job had come through? I don't think I wish that had happened, but I do wonder what my life would have been like had that happened. I mean, mm -hmm. what would the natural progression of that have been? Becoming maybe this, the manager of the salon, you know, like owning one, I like... think. Who knows? Like, yeah, it feels like you have big fish to fry, though. It doesn't feel like, I mean, the top of that game would be owning a salon. And then uh, probably then you'd want to write a TV show that had exactly. all took place in a tanning place. So it would I, come back. I imagine it would have been a full circle because I am a believer yeah. that if you're with the flow of the universe and, you know, you can get off course, but you get back on. If you just keep going with yeah. the flow, you will end up where you always need to be surrounded by yeah. the people that you need to be with, doing the things that you need to be doing in order to be yeah. a part of this universe and be a, a light and, and a supportive part. So you're right. What if I'd gone that direction? I probably still, you know, maybe there would be a reality TV show or something about the tanning salon, you know, and such honorable jobs, right? For those doing that, especially in this day and age. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like you, I feel like TV was like another sibling for you. So it was going to be part of your life in some form. Yes, yes. And and so you talk about the, like, I, I believe that too. Like, if we can stop fighting the universe, then we're going to be okay. But it's when we stop listening to our gut and to our instincts. Was there a time that you, like, you weren't listening to the signs around you? Oh, yeah. Many times. And I think that's why I'm where I am now, because the universe has this wonderful way of kicking us in the butt, right? Like just, you know, and sometimes it's a, a small kick that you're like, oh, that felt like a something brushing past me. Sometimes it's a severe kick, which is like you're thrown mm -hmm. across the room. And sometimes the kick hurts you so much you're laid out, right? For for yep. months. And, you know, as a child, I was really dynamic and very happy, I would say, you know, oblivious to many things and situations in the world. But at the same time, you know, my parents being Europeans, being immigrants, 
there was a mm -hmm. lot of um, control around that, a lot of fear, yeah. which created the control. So there wasn't as much freedom for myself and my sister. I have a, a wonderful sister who's older than I am. And so we, we didn't really do the things in Canada that a lot of the kids were doing, like going to camp right. and, you know, I don't know, people had cottages and things like that. So there was maybe a little bit of resentment perhaps that was starting to, to brew. And then in my teen years, I started acting out. And you know, the reason I was acting out is because, you know, this wonderful father who I had been close to had a stroke, a massive stroke. Not a lot of people know this about my life. Um, he had a massive stroke and it was not your everyday stroke. It was, it just completely debilita debilitated him. Yeah. So he was paralyzed with aphasia and get the kicker. He lived for 33 years in that incapacitated state. And I kind of laugh yeah. nervously at that because it's insane. The yeah. statistics show that a person with that kind of ischemic severe stroke lasts five to 10 years, maybe. He went for 33. I'm sure it was his way of trying to control us still. <laughs> it's like, I'm not leaving. Right. I, right. If I can't talk, I'm going to be here and I'm going to be observing and trying to boss you around, you know, and I laugh because that's who he was. Um, yeah. and, and so something changed yeah. for me at that point. And, and uh, I became, there was a lot of grief that I did not know how sure. to express. There was no one around me that could teach me that. So the grief turns into depression, which turns into escapism, which turns into, I start using substances, um, which turns into a big problem. I would say that's a long way to answer the question, you know, have I ignored the universe? Um, yes, many, many times. But there are moments of clarity within all of that cycle that I remember clearly where I knew I was not on the right track. Mm. And it would, yeah, and it would take a while to correct. Um, so, and it's, it's very perplexing, you know, to hear the conversation of a person, the story of a person who falls into that kind of depression or that kind of anxiety, because, you know, there's so much help available these days, but there wasn't mm -hmm. at that time. But, you know, Naomi, yeah. in spite of that, I started working, you know, and I started creating this career for myself. I just knew there was a fire in me. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I don't think, like, I don't think anybody leaves their teen years without having um, t moments, time, weeks, months, years, I don't know, of like needing to escape, right? Because being a teenager is really, really hard. And then, you know, you add on to like what you have to deal with with your pops and, and uh, you know, coming from a different country, there are all those things. And so I think people all try to escape. It's how you choose your escape route. Um, but do you, do you remember like, cause that must've been a pretty dark time in your life. Do you remember the steps that got you out of it? Absolutely, with much, much clarity. So if we look at my, the trajectory, so, you know, I was sort of on an upward, spiritual um, 
progression, you know, as a child, mm -hmm. you know, um, and then when that disability hit my father, it started getting, you know, sort of, it started, it stopped going upwards, basically, and it started to level off, not so much down. Mm -hmm. So it took a while before it started going down. And I'm talking about 20 years. Um, so what happened for me is that alcohol became a very big problem. And it was not something that I saw right away. Because right. having entered the television and the film business, yeah, um, everybody's drinking, everybody's drinking, everybody's partying. You know, the distinction is really how different is your drinking to that other person's, right? But you don't see other people. You see them at the party. Everybody's having four or five, you know, and that and that's what you see. So as a twenty-year-old, a twenty-five-year-old. I thought I was part of the norm. And what happens is that the disease of alcoholism is a progression. So it progresses. So early on, it may not be the alcoholism that we understand. It could just be it's starting, the progression is starting, right? So within that fold of drinking and being in the entertainment industry, at a certain point, I got to a level where I was dealing with very important, very responsible tasks at the companies that I was working for. And there would be a lot of um, interaction with, with alcohol that was part of the everyday life at film festivals, at television yeah. trade shows, you were whining and dining. So I spent a good deal of my 20s um, not understanding that I was, I was progressing. So, you know, and at the same time, you know, there was workaholism. I was so invested in my work and I can so excited and, you know, to be fortunate to be doing something that I had dreamt of as a child, you know, and tried to, you know, and worked my way towards it. It, it all just sort of, as if I was floating in water. I understand that. Yeah, a feeling of you're, you're excited, but there's something not right. You're not hearing or seeing. Yeah, or... You, you can't grasp onto anything yes. as it's going by. Yes. yes. But you're, you're still motioning forward. Still going forward, still yeah. really, um, you know, a, successful accomplishing the goals. The, you know, the work was, you know, never compromised because there was, you know, there was the workaholism. So I was constantly in motion there. So it was this, this moment in time that happened for me where the universe really came knocking and mm -hmm. it happened slowly yet quickly. And I hit what they call a bottom, they being every expert in the field. And a bottom to me is the moment of clarity. It's like when things completely shift sure. when the penny drops and so I'm 37 at that point I'd worked you know since the age of 19 in the industry that I loved and I did extremely well in all the companies that I worked for but then I hit this wall which was very personal 
And I recognized that I was using alcohol to dull, numb, escape what, what was happening on, on the inside of Marina, which really was all the stuff from the past that I had carried, all the grief, all the sadness and anger and resentment that had come to this boiling point. The realization just came that I, I needed to look for help and I did and I got it. And that was almost 15 years ago. So it's quite, it's quite the journey. It is quite the journey. I mean, when you talk about like, like the universe speaking to you, like it's not necessarily something that people, like it's what we were talking about before, like people are aware, right? So maybe there's a hand that's like, hey, I'm here to help you. But it's super easy to just go, yeah, I haven't got time. I got work to do. Yeah. And I've got to keep up with this lifestyle that I've created. So the fact that you were able to shift, because it's also like, like I, I, I have not gone into the world of addiction. I definitely, uh, I definitely love working. So if there's an addiction, it's in, it's in that realm. But um, when you talk about like doing the thing you love, so you'd be like, well, what's the problem? I'm doing the thing I love. Why would I want to get off this track? Sure, I have a couple of drinks, but rock bottom is when, when you're not able to do the thing you love. What do you think? More, well, it's sort of described as when the substance takes over and you can no longer manage your life. Now, the confusion that I see in when people attempt recovery from substance use is that that idea of the management of your life. Often people can function. You believe that you're managing your life. So you're working well. There's no problems at work. You're showing up on time. You're doing the do things. You're earning money for the company and being productive or for yourself if you're self-employed. Nothing really has fallen apart. You own a house and a car. You have a husband and a bank account. And that's for most people that is managing your life. What I recognized was emotional. I could no longer manage my emotional life. I could keep working. I could keep paying bills. I could keep, you know, doing the things that I was doing on a day-to-day basis, showing up for family, taking care of my mom, you know, like, and my dad in those days, caregiving for them, you know, being a friend to people, being very compassionate. I've got, thankfully, I'm an empathic person. But what it was, it was all this brewing of the history of the grief and the trauma. And Mm -hmm. so much more that happened within the ages of 12 to 37. So there was re-traumatization happening. Right. And, you know, if, if, I, you know, I couldn't look at it because I didn't even know what it was, you know? So, right. so yeah. the, the, the fun part of all this, and I say that for lack of a better word, I think it's fun, is that alcohol wasn't the problem, right? Alcohol is just the symptom of a much bigger problem. Every, yeah. every addiction is about the isms and not the word that comes before it. The word that comes before it is the symptom. That's what we use. But the isms are the feelings. It's the management of our emotional uh, well-being. And often, Mm -hmm. you know, people can function really well, especially if you're privileged, like if you have money or, you know, you're, you're, you're okay that way. So you don't see things falling apart. You can pay for your bills. You can pay for your mortgage. What happens is that 
if your emotional well-being starts to decay, and this could take months, years, decades, then your physical mm -hmm. ability starts to decay, not to mention yeah. your physical yeah. self, right? Because there's diseases that occur with too much quantity. So, of course, yeah. you know, so it's really the ism part. And the ism part for me, I discovered along the way was that, yeah, I was using this substance, you know, when things went quiet. So when I wasn't working, when I wasn't with mm. friends, when I wasn't doing anything substantial that was taking my mind away and distracting me, then the demons would come in and the demons look exactly like what I'm like, they're demons. They are anger and resentment and, and um, disappointment and hatred and jealousy and fear. I call fear the mothership, right? Because all those other emotions come from fear. You can always trace it back. And so what is mm -hmm. it ultimately? I was afraid. No kidding. I just lost, yeah. you know, the, the, the father that I was so attached to who was everything to our family in the sense of, you know, our, you know, he was, he was the guy, he, he was the guy yeah. who was working and bringing in the money and taking care of us. And he was my friend and, you know, we had a good time. So I just lost that. And, yeah. you know, Naomi, it's, it's sad to think it takes a person that long to uncover the trauma and to get help and to understand, but boy, am I grateful because some people mm -hmm. go through life, never recognizing that that's what it is. There's such a stigma to alcoholism and drug addiction and workaholism and gambling and, and sex addiction because we're all looking at the, the act, you know, that is shameful and we're not looking at, well, what's causing this act. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I've been so privileged to have had that knock on the door from the universe, which was, a, let's, let's be real. It was a big kick in the ass, right? Like it was like, yeah. wake the F up, you know? And that yeah. moment, which um, I, you know, I will always remember as January 4th, 2007, I said to myself, I'm dying on the inside. I don't know what to do, but I need help. And that little word, help, I had never said aloud, mm -hmm. not since the age of 12. What had happened is I shut down, the fear took over, and I was petrified to ask for help. So I just became this single warrior in my life, <laughs> this poor young girl, you know, who's like, what, you know, even at 25, yeah. like this poor young girl trying to do it all on her own, you know, and, and that moment where I asked for help, something happened. My mm -hmm. universe shifted completely. And the next day I went for help. I got it. I stayed on a path of recovery never to look back one day at a time. Wow. This is what I feel when I hear people's um, journey of, of recovery from places like that is a super grateful because you have brought things to our community that nobody else could with the work that you've been doing. And secondly, the strength of asking for help. Like I, I think that people that have gone through recovery in any way are like superhuman because I think that when you're down for the count it's everything that you can do just to lift your head up yes so you not only lifted your head up but you got your body up and you got you got moving forward so 
Yeah. And this is why I truly, truly believe that if we can let go of our perceptions of ourselves and other people, things and situations and deals and work and all of that, and just rest in the faith that we know it already. We know what we need to do. We know, Mm -hmm. we know who we are. We know what we need to do. We know that we can survive. And it's so true that, you know, the gratitude, you know, I've known people, you know, sometimes I feel like a baby in recovery at almost 15 years. I know people who have 30 and 40 who are still young, you know, they got into the, you know, the recovery, their recovery quite early. And, you know, I was sharing a story with a friend the other day. And uh, I said, you know, I don't know what I'm feeling and, and it's making me uncomfortable. And this is what's happening. And she said, well, that's serenity, my dear. (laughs) My mind was trying to create something that wasn't there. And, you know, and to keep me in the chaos of this, this life. And so it's familiar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if I can detach Mm -hmm. from it, then you know, then I I believe I have a chance and the gratitude comes through. That's what I really meant to say before that story was the people that I know in recovery that are 30, 20, 30, 40 years sober have a sense of gratitude beyond belief. I've never seen happier people who who experience life on its terms. And that's what I've learned from them. And, you know, some people don't make it. Just yesterday, I heard somebody passed away from addiction that I knew. And this is what happens. And and it's very sad. It's very sad that that particular person could not get to where I am. And then the gratitude increases. You know, we've all heard, but, you know, but for the grace of God, there go I, right? Like, it's because it's pretty serious business as much as I want to take away the stigma, which is serious and lighten it up a little bit so that people don't feel ashamed if there's a problem, you know, to reach out. It really is serious business. It's life or death. It's also not isolated. Like, I don't know anybody that doesn't deal with some sort of uh, addiction challenge in some form at some point in their life. Like if they're not aware of like where their journey is going, uh, I think, I think that's something. I think I think when you're, I think when you're in depression, you you just feel really alone, and you think you're the yes. only person dealing with that depression, and it's really hard to remind yourself that probably everybody around you has gone through what you're going through in different ways. It's part and parcel of the addiction. Anxiety is as mm-hmm. well. It all comes as a beautiful package that you're given with very ugly wrapping paper. <laughs> sort of how I see it you know it's like here you go here's this really ugly gift um and you know you can uncover it now and unwrap it and go deep inside it it needs to have time and space to take its course and you know the one thing I've learned about you know feeling that level of anxiety and depression which thankfully I don't these days is that I need to allow the feelings to come through they're here they're asking for space they need to be honored and listened to and talked with so you know I talk with my feelings I ask my feelings what it is that they need what what are they here for what are they doing you know what do I need to do and 
it, you know, it really like I can feel it in my body. I can, I can tell when the, the anxiety is moving through in that way, when I honor my feelings. And, and did you see a shift in your work? Like, yeah. because I also think, you know, when we have a focus that isn't your passion, it's gonna, it's gonna affect. So did you watch like your work mind open up as well? So much. Yeah. So much. The first thing that pops to mind is when, when people put down the substance and they stop poisoning their bodies and you start to detox, it's like you start to see colors for the first time ever. And so what happened for me gradually was I started thinking about concepts. I started writing again. I started Mm -hmm. moving away from what was the corporate landscape that I was used to um, in the film and television business. I had always loved the idea of being a businesswoman in the arts. And now Mm -hmm. with sobriety, I had uncovered my creativity. I became an artist in the arts. Right, right, right. Oh, I love that so much. Yes. Who, who has business training and business experience. And suddenly I went full circle back to, and I'm getting goosebumps as I say this, to the Marina who was 10 and played Snow White at the high school yeah. and well, at the at grade school, um, you know, to the Marina who was making those magazines out of magazines to you know, like that Mm -hmm. side came out again. And I started writing many different things every day. I'm, I'm very happy to write business language. I love the machine of strategizing, but now I bring an artistic approach to it and I'm far Mm -hmm. more relaxed. Like it's not always about the deal anymore. Now it's about you know, the character development and the structure and the people who are going to be watching these shows, you know, and how the performers are going to read the material, you know, and how they're going to then take that character and perform. And funny enough, I was thinking about what, when I was watching episodes of Mr. D, I'd followed you know, Mr. D for so long, all those seasons and watching your character and you just had this presence and there was this level of confidence that I could see, but I knew that was also in the writing that you had read that, interpreted it, and you were then able to passionately display that. And that to me is so important now. The deal is one thing, right? But being able to create with other creators is now yeah. like my life. I cannot live without it. Yeah. Just can't. you can tell though, you've got such like glow around you as you speak right now. It's almost like, you know, like once you've sort of healed your heart a little bit, you became an artist, not just a business artist. Exactly. Yeah. I love that so much. And I think that like folks that are struggling with various blocks, like you were talking about, like if they can get on track with their passion, like, because it serves you, right? You look at you, like how you speak about your work right now. Thank goodness you had the strength to get out of that rut so that we could embrace the artist that you are now. Like, and, and I don't say that lightly. I don't think a lot of 
I don't think there's a lot of producer artists. I think there's a lot of great producers, but not a lot of producer artists that have the love of what you're talking about that even understand, like even what you were talking about with Mr. D, I'm like, wow, I don't think a producer's ever talked to me like that. So that's really beautiful. Well, they should. I mean, that's just my opinion, yeah. but you're right. And not every producer has to be that like producers are That's right. primarily you know the you know how I see a producer is sort of the CEO and the CFO and the COO of a company right Fun, yes. you know functioning in that manner um, and it is unique and I think because I had this passion and this feeling that then aligned I was able to start my business and I was going to say, did that like, I feel like that's what jumped into M MCE Incorporated, right? Yes. Because you're like, well, I got to, I got to take the reins on that. I got to do it now. You know, like uh, before I started my company, I was, you know, really grateful. I was privileged. I worked for a number of Canadian production companies, you know, where I had the opportunity to learn, you know, to uh, provide business, um, you know, strategies for them to sell programming internationally and feature films to executive produce, you know, to manage staff. Like I, I had a very successful stint in Canada when I came back from the UK. Right. And it, it really mm -hmm. did prepare me to launch, you know, my company, but you're right, Naomi, if I had to attribute one aspect, it would be, um, becoming spiritual. And that's what I call it nowadays. It's recovery to me is, yeah, I'm, I'm long past the mark of any of that, those symptoms as substances can help. Now it's mm -hmm. always about the staying in the solution and moving forward. But having this spiritual path has really connected me to people, to situations that speak my language that I align with. I'm very, I've always been really pro women. You know, I can yes. be a very loud activist um, at times. Yes, I know. Why am I, <laughs> why am I saying that? Like, it's a bad I thing. Know. I know. I saw your face and I was like, <laughs> I mean, please get louder. Yes. Then like it, Everybody yes. else will be inspired to find, find the level that your volume is at as well. Uh, and um, I, and I see that. I see that in your work too. Like you're, you are leading with example and leading with uh, the, the projects that you choose to do. Absolutely. Like every project that I work on has female characters, if not in the lead, very substantial in terms of characters. Yep. Um, definitely some gender parody. Um, you know, I've always looked at diversity and I'm, I'm you know, making an effort to be more and more uh, committed to that area and mm -hmm. putting, putting that into play. Um, but mm -hmm. yes, even with a project where there's a male lead, there's always a female lead that's just as important. Um, and there's always a male lead that is not just helping the damsel in distress. Yeah. You know, yeah. like uh, yeah. one of my projects that's based on another Linwood Barclay novel called Fear the Worst, yeah. uh, which is currently in development, uh, we're hoping to shoot next year, the, is, is the story of, of uh, an average man whose daughter goes missing and the entire 
story is him frantically searching for her with so many unique twists and turns that it's kind of almost like a, you know, a ride. Mm -hmm. um, and I looked at that and I looked at, I love Linwood Barkley. We yeah. had an amazing time, you know, with Gail Harvey um, making Never Saw It Coming. And Fantastic. I just love him as yes. a writer. And he also writes female characters really well. But what stood out for me was that. And it's weird because now we're going full circle to my personal life about my dad, because yes. I have not seen that kind of character, male character in a long time, just your average Joe turning into, you know, you have to become a hero and not a superhero and not and like, God bless all those movies, but just an average guy where the mm -hmm. shit is hitting the fan in a, in a way that your your life is over like it's the worst thing that can possibly happen so that's the kind of project that I look for um you know and I really need to work with people that I can have fun with oh my god if we're not having fun what are we doing exactly yes right I heard your I heard your interview with Gail uh you were speaking to somebody about um, never saw it coming and you could just hear like the way you and Gail were talking about like the fun that you have with your creative process yeah right and that's so important if we're like if this is causing us pain we might not be doing it right <laughs> exactly and that's part of the process that 30 years into my career I'm only just learning when to call it quits, how to say no. And I say that for anybody who has a hard time saying no, don't feel bad. Yeah, it, this saying no is not easy for women. We're conditioned yeah. and nurtured to say yes in many, many yeah. ways. It's also the opportunities. That's the part that I find difficult is when I don't wanna, yeah, I don't wanna turn, I don't wanna say no to anything because that sounds like I'm not grateful for the opportunity. Imagine a world, Naomi, where there are unlimited opportunities. I read this quote on Facebook. I have no idea. So if anyone is listening and this is your quote, please forgive me for not <laughs> mentioning you, but it said, Playing small is canceled for today. And guess what? For tomorrow too. For tomorrow and the next year and the and yeah. the ones to come. So unlimited opportunities are necessary, but they're not a reality. You're absolutely right. They're not for me. You know, mm -hmm. another thing that a lot of, I think people might misunderstand or not see in, you know, like the forest for the trees kind of thing is the fact that I work very hard I'm very committed. I've made a ton of sacrifices. I don't have children. That's what I had to do. So it's not like, you know, you know, you can have it all. Absolutely. But I think having it all is, is, you know, there's, there's a, a danger that we can't do it all when we have it all. So, mm -hmm. you know, we need help. Like you can have it all when you have help. You know, I think that's really important. Do you feel, um, tell me about your role as a mentor, because I feel like you recognize that you're in a place of mentorship on a day-to-day -day basis, not just with MCE Incorporated, but just with how you're living your life. Do you feel like that's in connection with like not having kids or where do you, where does that sit for you? That's a really good observation. I've always been very interested in the well-being of young women, because I know the pitfalls in terms of what happened to me in my life as a young woman. And, and I'm talking about across the board, you know, work and, and a story is coming up. So I'll share it. 
one of my first bosses before um, I came back to Canada had said to me, we need to let you go. And I'm really sorry about that, but I'd really like to sleep with you. Come on. I usually know what to say. Like I'm, and I couldn't even function after that. So I did nothing and I said nothing. I excused myself and I left the table. And that is not the worst thing that has happened to me with respect to sexual harassment in the business. So my interest with younger women lies in helping them understand those pitfalls that still exist um, in the workplace that can exist in, in, in the world of, you know, dating. Um, so it's almost like there's a part of me that wants to protect them, not control them, protect them. So that's always been there. And then the mentor, the mentorship part came uh, naturally with my spiritual evolution. I started, um, you know, becoming sort of a spiritual guide for many other women. And then I've been teaching and training the, you know, the producing side and the distribution side of film and television for a number of years with some of our, you know, beloved organizations in Canada. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I take a great deal of pride in that work. I think it's really honorable work. I believe in giving back, um, you know, and if I had the time and the resources, I would do more, but I can't. So every year I have one person, one female that I mentor um, on an ongoing basis um, through a production of their own, you know, be it a short film or a full uh, full length feature. And, uh, you know, so instead of kind of, you know, mentoring tens of people in bits and pieces, I'm actually helping somebody uh, really make a product, right, and get out there into the marketplace. So it's really important. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can see it. And I can see it. It uh, makes you shine. You love it. I love it. Yeah. There are mornings where if I'm doing a seminar coaching or mentoring, it's, it's like, yeah, you know, like I'm, I'm like, let's, you know, it's showtime. It's a different yes. version of yes. showtime. And, you know, saying that I'm also very, always really excited to be on set. That feels very natural to me. So all the yeah. stages, everything from the writers and the directors to reading books. Um, I may have forgotten to mention voracious reader. I'm like, since I was, I don't know, since I was like five, I've been reading and reading and reading. Um, One of the funny things I I often talk about in other talks is I used to read self-help books at the age of eight and nine, (laughs) which is bizarre. Like who's the weirdo? Um, you know, and, and I just have always loved knowledge. It's, it's there, it's in me. Um, so all the stages, like what we're doing right now, I'm so excited to, you know, to be having this conversation with you and, you know, to support the firecracker department. And I've been following and listening to your podcasts Mm -hmm. and, you know, and then after this, I'm going to have a zoom with my, one of my colleagues and it'll be down to business, you know, let's talk numbers and that deal. And then after that, I'm going to hop on a zoom with some of my spiritual friends and we'll talk about that. Right. So, and then tomorrow it'll start all over again. And what's the area of spirituality? Like, is it, are you in a, like a healing spirituality? Cause you speak, you speak about your spirituality, but I wonder what I mean, I hate to put it in a box, but I wonder what box it's in. Sure. And, and I hear you. I get what you mean. It, where, where am I connected? Um, 
I would say I'm not a Buddhist per se, but I follow, you know, their principles. Um, so I, I don't study it per se. My spirituality is based on the principles of um, honesty and decency, integrity, love and connection. And I believe in a higher power. Um, and I cultivate that experience, the higher power, you know, often people say, well, what is that visually? And I can explain it as it's a, it's a being, it's a force, it's an energy. Sometimes the, the movie in my head clicks to the old guy with the beard. And sometimes it's this incredible, you know, nomadic woman. And sometimes it's just the breeze. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's an energy in my room. Um, sometimes it's a thought that I know comes from the higher self, you know, so the, I, I believe in a higher and a lower self. So when I'm in fear or anger or pain, emotional pain, I'm in the lower self. So then I, I need to kind of go upstairs and knock on the door and say, Hey, I need some help higher self. Cause I'm low right now. <laughs> what do we need to do? Mm -hmm. A lot of people talk about being sort of, you know, having different personalities and you know, you're this way at work and this way at home. And I'm just me now I can, yeah. the tone will shift and change. I can get serious. I can get responsible. I'm always responsible. Um, but you know, so that level of humility is important for me as well. It's like, I will do what I say I'm going to do. And if I can't, I will tell you that I can't do it or say it anymore. And just yep. no bullshit, honesty. Like, like I'm just not interested in anything that is not real. Yeah. I mean, from where I'm sitting, you've kind of figured it out. I, I think I've gotten to a point perhaps where it seems like I figured it out because there's a lot there's there's and this is years and years of reading and studying and other people's wisdom and doing what we call the work and the work means looking at yourself and your shortcomings and making right with yourself in the world and not, mm -hmm. like it's almost like having like garbage you know a can full of garbage and you're just cleaning it out and if you do the big clean then you know every day a little bit of garbage will get back in and it's lighter it's easier to carry and take out again so I've done the big thorough cleansing in that respect and then every day I just work on on getting rid of the little pieces of garbage and what yeah. I mean by that is fear fear which causes all sorts of problems and I'm not talking about the fear, the, you know, the valid fear for your life, or I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about the fear of, oh my goodness, I won't, you know, get that job. I won't get that money for the film. I won't get that, you know, star mm -hmm. in my movie. I won't get that boyfriend. I won't, you know, like all of the things that we want, that fear translates into the neuroses that I believe is the downfall of humanity, you know, not getting what we want. It's basic and it's mm -hmm. simple. And people will either decide to accept in one way and they numb out or they become very aggressive and entitled and possibly narcissistic. Mm -hmm. um, and those two opposite ends are very dangerous for the rest of the world. So in, in looking at self, that's 
you know, going back to the idea of spirituality, what does that, what does it mean? It's trying to be my best, truest self uh, with humility and integrity. And I don't get there every day, but I have so much still to learn, Naomi. I, I thank yeah. you for saying that it sounds like I've got it figured out, but I know I have so much more to learn because I can feel it. I can feel yeah. the longevity of my life and I can feel that there was a purpose for getting me out of the cycle of addiction. I will never, ever, ever take that for granted in my life as I will never take for granted the wonderful people in the film and television industry that are put into my path every single day. And I will have made a million mistakes along the way. I claim them all. I think as a human being, I have the right to make mistakes as long as I'm not desperately hurting other people for a start. But I can also go back and make up for that mistake. Yeah, you can be accountable. Yes, yes. And, yeah. you know, I, I wanted to also mention that when I wake up in the morning, this is um, part of my spiritual process. I wake up in the morning, I connect. I connect whatever that, with whatever that first energy is that will help me get out of the mind, which keeps me in the fear of whatever I was dreaming about, because that's, you know, a lot of anxiety comes out in our dreams or whatever we were thinking about the day before is now translating into that. And so if I connect right away with what is a greater energy, which feels healing and good and kind, then that's how I start my day. And I basically say, I know nothing, please teach me. Well, I mean, gosh, hopefully we're always learning till the end, right? Yes. Otherwise, what, what are we doing? <laughs> Exactly. Is there anything missing from your life right now? Is there anything that you're like, I got to do more of this or less of that? I don't think so. I think I am right where I need to be. I could say what's missing. You know, if I look at my business slate, pieces of financing, trying to get the movies off the ground, but I don't see that as a missing piece. I see that as something that's just actionable every single day. So I feel whole. It's, it's, one of the times in my life where I feel incredibly whole, I am on my own. I'm okay this way for now. You know, I, I do live one day at a time. I was married and I had the house and the dog and all those wonderful things. Um, I don't have them. I, I feel grateful for having had them. They may come in the future. But in terms of missing pieces, I'm, I'm whole. I see that. Oh my gosh, this has been such a beautiful conversation. I don't want to, I don't want it to end. I, I have so many more aspects. It's going to be like a three-parter. I love it. You know, there is so much to talk about when we talk about well-being and so much yeah. when we talk about the, the harms of addiction and so much to say about who is out there and how much help is available. I'm always, you know, around and available to chat with people who are suffering in that way. It's really important to me. I can, I can see that. I mean, I think that the exciting thing for me is that folks like you are in our industry and recognize the value of spirituality and mental health. And I don't think that that's part of the discussion all the time. So I love that we're bringing that into the firecracker department's discussion. I love it too. I wish that productions, you know, could start with moments of silence and uh, five minute meditations. I love right? that. Yeah. Just to yeah. ground yourself before 
the director calls the first shot of the day, you know, like, it, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, no. what would be the harm in saying five minutes, tools down, just take a moment and th- say, hey, we're making something really fun right now. Let's do it. Okay, five minutes. I'm up. Yeah, let's no, do we it. We do it every time we do a firecracker department meeting because um, we have a wellness department. Emily Churchill, who's a Reiki healer and that leads a meditation. And so we, we make it part of our system. Like, I think it's just a muscle that needs to be exercised. But I, I'm all for what you're talking about. Let's do a meet and greet at the beginning of projects. Let's wear name tags so we can call each other by our first names. Yeah. And let's like put some value into what we're doing past the creation, past the product. I agree. And to really be careful with respect to people's mental well-being on sets, uh, to make sure that they're looked after and taken care of because we have long days, as you well know, Mm -hmm. um, and there are personalities that clash. And of course, it's COVID. You know, that's another thing. I I was kind of grateful that I didn't have anything shooting at the time of COVID. Uh, No kidding. It scared the living daylights out of me, the idea that I might've been responsible for hundreds of people in the middle of, you know, this crisis. Um, And so I had moments um, throughout 2020 and, and, you know, to, to reflect and to think about how to move forward in the years to come and, and to develop projects. And, you know, I just want to cheer on the people that did go to set every day. Amazing. Like I have friends who, yeah. you know, have been working since, you know, never stop. And, uh, you know, the, the stress and the fear and the confusion and the PPE and everything that made it such a big struggle. I just, you know, we have a great industry that way. We do. I mean, people work really hard and they do their best looking after each other. And uh, as we've been talking about, I think we can always do a little bit more and we can always do a little bit better, but they're working hard for sure. I also had another idea. So if we don't like the meditation before we start shooting, we could always do a dance, you know, like (laughs) a dance break. This is what I thought. You do like a half day dance break. Let's put on some tunes. Yeah. You got to put things down and a little dance. Yeah, And you just shake it out. You kind of shake it out and you know, and help. And I believe the body working that way, whether it's reflection, meditation, dancing, yoga, three or five minutes implemented can change the brain waves automatically. And if you've had some sort of stress or anxiety, it'll clear it and everyone can move on again. There's, you know, there's this idea that our business needs to be tough and aggressive and backstabby and all that. And I'm like, why? You know, I know I just want to work with really great people, um, treat each other well, you know, learn, learn something new from each other, make a really good product that other people enjoy and keep doing that all over again. And, you know, and hopefully employing a lot of Canadians because I did, you know, throughout my career decide to stay in Canada, um, you know, which was a tough decision when when the industry is far broader in Los Angeles and there might've been more opportunities. So um, I, I made that decision and I love our talent. I, I do have to say, we need to nurture you more. It's one of my um, little kind of pet peeves or, you know, where it, mm-hmm. I really truly believe that there's a lack of supporting the talent, the performers in this country um, yeah. and, and helping you get to your next levels. And, you know, 
the same way we do with crew, the same way we do with writers. And yeah. Yeah. I thought you meant nurture me specifically. I'm oh, like, we oh can my do gosh, that. Thank you so much. <laughs> we can absolutely do that. No, but I think you're right. I think that like, you know, talent in Canada is, uh, is extraordinary. And there is a level of like, you've had your opportunity back to the end of the line, as opposed to like, what else do you want to do? Hey, do you ever thought about writing? You ever thought about directing? Like, that's the things, you know, one of my, one of my dear friends, Danny Kind, who is in Working Moms, is like starting to open her brain up to directing. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly right. Let's start to like, fill our tool belt. Absolutely amazing, especially for, you know, for the gender parity as well in this country, like getting women to start mm -hmm. looking at directing and cinematography yeah. and all of that good stuff. Editing, everything. Absolutely. Like, I mean, this is... Yeah, I mean, this is what we're, we're doing in Firecrack Department with the mentorship is like recognizing that we actually have some role models to look up to and to reach out to. So if you think like, I mean, this is my favorite thing to talk to producers about, because other than you, I don't think many seven year olds have like dreams of becoming producers, but, you know, they also don't have like a self-help book in their back pocket. But that's makes you makes you you <laughs> yes um so I love like introducing that world and uh, you're right we need we need to do it all but I feel such um calmness and such confidence knowing that you're in this community because I feel like you are a, a change maker and I feel like like I'm I don't know I'm in your corner if you need any help with any changes that you're working on I'm there for you. Absolutely. And vice versa. You know, I have to wrap it up. I have to, I don't want to Marina. We, we can talk, but we're obviously going to talk forever at another time. Absolutely. Too, just the start of our, but I'm so, I have to do some wrap up things. So I'm going to turn the table and say, do you have a question for me? So my question to you is, and I got to set up the scene first. So a, a modern day genie is, has now come landed down on earth and is joining us right now. And she is offering you those three wishes that we know genies do. However, it's conditional. <laughs> you are being granted three wishes to change the world. What would those three wishes be and do? Okay, my, I'm going to go with all my instincts. Mm -hmm. Okay, so my instincts is that we do something in school that teaches children the power behind kindness. So that it's not the power behind hard work, but it's actually the power behind respect and kindness. And that's taught at like a really early age. Amazing. That's one thought. Gosh, I do think that there should be a dance break like all over the world at some point, just to make the world shift a little bit. I think that's a really important thing. I'm going to use up all my, all my wishes. World changers. Um, yeah. Dancing, kindness, uh, I don't know. You know, I, I, I'm such a, I, I, I'm such a believer that everybody has the power to change the world individually. I just think that we all just need to step into it more. Like when you talk about like, um, like the, the bravery of making change, the bravery of, uh, of helping, maybe it's bravery. I think they folks need to recognize the power of bravery because I think that we, we can all change it. Yes. I, I see almost a sprinkle everybody got kind of gets sprinkled the bravery those are beautiful yeah. and so insightful and so encouraging and so oh compassionate gosh. because I you know I would expect a lot of people go to the things right well we'll you know we'll change the environment and and the truth is 
you hit the nail on the head with the change starts within. If we can become kind and loving and brave, then we can change the world. And I think that's what's missing. Oh, you're going to make me cry. So Naomi, you're in charge of the world now. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) None at all. And so now you're nurturing us. All right. Wrap up questions. Here we go. Ready? Yes. Um, Fill in the blank. To me, a firecracker is? Someone who is kind and generous like Naomi. (laughs) What do you want to be best known for? My help, support supporting others i love the the through line of the word help in this discussion as well so so beautiful um if this was a movie so your life is a movie and maybe it could be i'd like to audition for the part of you uh what is the turning point the 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 climactic moment that changed your life forever it would definitely be the moment i hit bottom because that was the crossroads they say in recovery that there's only three places to go if you don't stop, which is an institution, jail, or death. So I wouldn't be here. None of those sound yeah. great. No. Yeah. No. I mean, that's not and a great. We're option. not playing anyone on TV in those situations. These are real yeah. life um, things that can happen. So I, I have to say, the re- it was a rebirth, and um, that would be the pivotal moment. I love that. What's something that people don't know about you? But I can be funny sometimes. They think I think that's not a secret. Well, I don't know. You're pretty weird. And I say that in the most kind way and loving way. Yeah. And maybe that's the the way to kind of say it is I think that people think I'm really serious all the time. And I have a very fun side to me that can be really spontaneous Mm -hmm. and and uh, yeah, and fun to be with. What's something that you haven't done yet, but you know you have to do? I haven't written a book. Oh, please write a book. I need to write a book. Yeah, it's not Uh, there yet. The muse has not appeared yet. It's kind of all over the place. Yeah. Um, Who's a firecracker in your world? Well, um, automatically, I have to say the firecracker in my world is a producing partner. She's my producing partner who's based in Los Angeles. Her name is Kelly Reynolds. And uh, she and I have been working together, uh, I would say, for the last couple of years, made it official last year that we were building a bridge between Los Angeles and uh, Toronto, so U.S. and Canada. And I have to say, she's a firecracker of the highest degree. She's Mm -hmm. beautiful inside and out. She's strategic and grounded. She's fun to be with and around we are so aligned and so copacetic and so able to uh, hash out really businessy things, but keep it light and fresh and fun. And I just love her to bits and I'm so proud she's, she's my partner. Oh, what a great partnership. To be able to talk like that about somebody that you're working with, I think is extraordinary. What, uh, where do you find your power? from that higher self that I was talking about. And, you know, that Mm -hmm. comes through the work that I do. If I'm reading spiritual material, always trying to encourage my, my mind to meet my heart and, uh, and operate from that place rather than the fear. 
and the judgment and the resentment. What's um, the best or the worst advice you've ever gotten? Oh, the worst. That comes right. Well, there's so much bad advice. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where I learned to just not like really filter all that stuff. Um, But I think one of the worst pieces of advice came really early in my career when I was told um, when I was looking for a job after I, I, I had been a receptionist and I was told not to uh, dream too high, like to, to really keep, keep grounded and, and realistic. So, yeah, you know, not look for jobs that were any, any, anything above reception. <laughs> so if I had listened wow. to that piece of advice, we wouldn't be sitting here. So that was really terrible. Best piece of advice is when I was having a really hard time with a financial institution in business. And one of my uh, colleagues at the time said to me, don't get stuck in this, just close the business, move on and never work with them again. And that little piece of advice saved me weeks of resentment and being stuck in the Mm -hmm. resentment, right? So just, you know, finish off the business and move on. Final question is advice, advice you would have given to your younger Marina. Don't worry. The path is really clear if you put your glasses on. Nothing can hurt you the way that you think. My heart is just so full from this discussion. I truly have just enjoyed this so immensely. And I feel, I do, I feel like a sense of calm. You know, it's, it's sort of like when, um, you know, it's like when your, your friends marry somebody that you really like and you're like, great. Now there's, there's other people that care about that person's heart. And I feel like I care so much about our industry. I care so much about what we get to do. And then knowing folks like you are in this community, I'm like, ah, somebody else cares that much too. So it's really beautiful. It is. It's important. And I'm glad that, you know, you you feel the same way. And oh, thank you so, so much. Thank you, Naomi. So it's much. been a pleasure. It's such an honor to be here. Such a uh, a great moment um, to to be able to speak and share. And thank you for giving me the space and the voice, even though I'm weird. <laughs> I would say I want the weirder. I would, the weirder, the better. And maybe especially so. And now you're coming to help us and join us for our mentorship I panel, am. which I'm so jazzed about. <laughs> we got to yes, the same time. Yes. Uh, yeah. So thank you for joining us for that. I mean, we're going to have further discussions in that, but it's, yeah. A thrill. Yeah, I'm very yeah. much looking forward to it. Um, I'm already, you know, mentally preparing, even though it's in September, I understand, but I'm like, okay, I'm already chomping at the bit. Who are the participants? What, you know, I'm already starting to write my notes. I'm there. I'm there with my bells and my whistles and my weirdness. Okay. Yes. Yes. I'm in. <laughs> awesome. Okay, my friend. Such a pleasure for me. It's been such Thank a you. pleasure. Thank you, Thank you so much. All right. Didn't you just love it? Oh, I just want to hug that conversation. I have my arms stretched out like a hug. I want to hug that whole chat with Marina. You can follow Marina on Instagram at mcordoni. That's M-C-O-R-D-O-N-I. And find out more about her dozens of projects on her website, marinacardoni.com. You can stream Never Saw It Coming right now on Amazon Prime. You can buy or rent American Hangman on iTunes globally and on Amazon in the States. And Love on the Air can be streamed on Hallmark Movies now. 
And before we go, a reminder about the mentorship workshop in September with Marina. So you can just keep going with Marina Love. That's Saturday, September 25th. And I have to tell you, these events are truly igniting and inspiring. And I know I use those words a lot. I know I do. I say amazing a lot. I say great a lot. And I stand by it. These mentorship events are just that. They are truly the dictionary definition of igniting and inspiring. So get your tickets now at the link in our show notes and come learn more from Marina and other producers like Mackenzie Donaldson from Orphan Black and Ashley Rains from Canadian Strain. I'm just so happy we got to have this talk and that I also get to share it with you. So thank you for listening and go on out there, get some creative action going, grab a friend, have a coffee, talk about projects, and see where it leads to. And if you're feeling a little like your creative tank is empty, reach out to a fellow firecracker. We got you, we'll get you going. Just a little note, next week will be our last podcast before we take a tiny hiatus for TIFF. Can you believe it? TIFF already. Yes, I'll be chatting with indigenous creator and founder of Girls in Television and Film, G-I-F-T, GIF, Camille Baudouin, and then we're gonna be taking that break. So lots of firecracker fun coming up. Thanks everybody for listening. See you next time. Winnie Wong is our Firecracker head producer. Follow her at wonder underscore Wong on Instagram and wonder underscore Wong 8 on Twitter. Sydney Nielsen is our head of post-production and head writer. You can follow them at Sydney underscore Nielsen. Sydney, like Australia. Nielsen, like milk. This episode is edited by two amazing editors, Jordan Giddens and Shane Stoltz. Jordan can be found on Instagram at Jordan with a Y and Shane, you can follow them at Shane Stoltz. That's Shane with a Y as well. So many Ys. Why not? This intro was written by the one and only wonderful Winnie Wong. That's right. She's a triple W. The rest of the team comes at you from Toronto, Los Angeles, Austin, London, Dubai, and truly from all over the world. Get into the full Firecracker Department core team at firecrackerdepartment.com slash about because we're always updating and we're always growing. Stay tuned to our newsletter for advanced updates on our monthly meditations, upcoming mentorship workshops, live script department readings, festival partnerships, weekly writing workouts, and dates for 2021, and so much more. There's lots going on in Firecracker Department. Now, whether you're a first time or a long time listener to the Firecracker Department, we always, always want to hear from you. We love hearing what quotes, the specifics, the nuances of things that stuck with you. We mean it. We really do. And we respond to every single thing that comes our way. If it gives your brain goosebumps or it piques your curiosity or makes you want to stop and write something down, send it back to us or our Firecracker guest or both. I mean, everybody likes to know that when they put something out into the world, that it resonates. And if it sparks something in you, use that creativity to take some creative action. Share it because it just reverberates, you know? If you see somebody being creative, that might spark somebody else's creativity. So pay it forward. Thanks also to Jeff Malutinovic and Igor Korea for our theme music. And thanks to you. Yeah, you. Sitting there, driving there, walking there, working out there, and taking time to listen. We know there's a lot of options out there and we really appreciate you choosing us. We hope to see you at maybe brunch, maybe the writing workshop. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time.